We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And for the first time, we're going to check in on the finals. Guys, my Laker heart is slowly getting ripped out as Boston takes a two-to-one lead. But I kind of like that we're talking about this three games in because we've seen the dust begin to settle in this series. We've seen some of the matchups play out, some of the strategies. And I'm particularly interested in how each team has been a little better offensively than I thought they were going to be. But there are some great storylines playing out there. But we'll get to that a little bit later. I want to leave it really open-ended, Mike. What has stood out to you so far through these first three games of the series? These teams are so close, Pete, that I think they're they're at the point where the respective energy that the team enters, really starting the game in the first quarter, um, has kind of prevailed throughout the course of that game. And it's it kind of allows for the team that knows that it has its back against the wall, sort of brings it in a certain direction. And we've been seeing that ebb and flow. And so in game one, it was tight for a little while, and then but Boston really had the better energy. Um, they were a little bit in better rhythm, and they won that one. So game two, of course, Golden State has to come out and play with their absolute best maximum energy, and they do, and they win the game. And this is ignoring some of the X's and O's I know we're going to get into. Game three, then, that's Boston's first game at home. It's a 9 o'clock Eastern start. The fans are frothing. You know, it's it's that's a very difficult game to go in um, and win, Unless you had been the one like the Lakers in game two when they went there and they got that game three win with Fish, like when it's their bounce back. So to me, it's just kind of gone as the series, I think, is going to go. And I, and I do expect that Golden State's going to find a way to win game four. Uh, but there are the concerns when like the reason that I liked Boston in the East is their personnel and their size and all of those things are weighing on Golden State. Uh, I just thought like in game two, Horford and Williams weren't as good as they were in game one. And I think that's going to happen again in game four. That's kind of been my major point is that those two bigs haven't been able to, to sustain um, like their wings and guards have. And and I think that that to me is the whole key in the series. And if they are able to sustain, then I think Boston's better. But I'm kind of betting against them doing so. And and that to me has been part of the big difference. But um, so that those are, that's kind of my summary takeaway. Uh, Darius, what's been yours? Just that both teams 
have some things that seem to be unstoppable for the other side and how often they can get to those things and how often they decide that those are the things that they're going to press on have led to massive runs in each game and have led to wins. There's a bunch of tactics going on and it's been, I thought, a very well-coached series in terms of the back and forth. And I think Steve Kerr has more levers to pull and he's been pulling them. And I think that that worked in game two. And I thought in game three, it was a little bit less successful in terms of the personnel stuff. When I'm, when I'm talking about levers, Mike, that's a point that you made going into the series. Like Boston has eight dudes They can play up to 10, and they did, I think, in game one, but they really have eight dudes that they truly trust to play against all opponents. And those are the guys that have been playing this series, and it's really only been seven. And so any hiccup with any of those seven is going to be problematic for them. And I think through three games, Boston seven has held up and been more steady than Golden State's sort of fishing through 11 guys. I know that we'll dive way deep into tactics and everything else, but like it, it sort of looked like what I expected it to look like through three games. Because if you remember, Pete, and I'll kick it back to you here, I said that I sort of see this series played out like the 2010 finals Mm -hmm. and basically that series it was every other game there for a while until boston took control at three two right and so it was like okay you win one we win one you win one we win two right with if you're looking at the the celtics perspective and it's just like and then it's on the lakers end to win two and they did and so i sort of see this jostling back and forth that's even easier to do it with the with the you know, the two, two, one, 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 right. So the two, three, two, which that series yes. was, was in a, you know, cause that's, that's a little harder to do that every other, but the, every other ended up being, yeah, they just both packaged the two home games. Yes. I'm sort of looking at this series as, okay, these teams are very equal within the context of our strengths are here and your strengths are there. And how often we can get to those strengths is determining the winner of any given game or any given stretch of a game, which then gives you an advantage, Pete. And and that's sort of where I'm at with this so far. Question for you. What are those things that you're talking about where each team has a clear advantage over the other? No one can guard Steph Curry on Boston's side. He is too tricky of a matchup for them. Like they've tried smart on him. Smart's been okay. They've tried Derek White on him. Derek White has been good, but not great. And you could see Boston's bigs doing like the um, the hangover card counting meme in their head. But in terms of how much space do we give this dude on all of these mm-hmm. these actions? And you can see them calculating risk in their like it's it's on their face, Pete. And they're not sure. Like, am I up high enough? Oh, wait. Am I going to get blown by here? And it's a game of inches when you're dealing with Steph. And he is 
he is the guy who is maximizing all of that space to his advantage. And on the other side, Tatum and Brown are just giving the Warriors problems, man. Like they are too good off the dribble. They can shoot over the top of, of most of their matchups. And at the rate that that Brown especially is hitting shots, it's like, OK, well, we we schemed for Tatum, but we didn't expect Brown to be better than Tatum in terms of like a scoring option. And that sort of been to me the difference for Boston through three games, at least. And the only game where Boston did not win, it was because they put Draymond directly on Jalen Brown and said, yeah, we're going to try to turn that faucet down. And that's something that I I think you hit right, right on the head where Golden State needs to turn the screws. The point totals in this series for Boston have been very strange. 120, then what they score in game two? 88. So the point totals for Boston have been very strange. They've fluctuated quite a bit. 120 in game one, then 88 in game two, and then a 116 in game three. And I think that zeroing in on Jalen Brown and Draymond is a good place to kind of address that. Draymond is an attacking defender. And against Boston, if you wait for them to attack you, you're going to lose that. You have to dictate the terms against them. And so that's why the emphasis on ball pressure in that game two win, they had 15 steals, Golden State did. Remember the game against Miami where they had 19 steals against Boston? That's something that is something that you can do. And you have to, it's both pressure on the ball, but also the ability to rotate and fly around. But that dictating the terms of like, we're going to make you do what we want you to do and you have to beat us that way rather than we're going to let you do what you want to do and then react to that and so being in a proactive rather than a reactive position I think is super important for Golden State and really it starts with Draymond and he was guarding Jalen Brown to start that game and Brown had what 17 points in that first quarter and on a couple of them whenever you see Draymond back on his heels because Brown, especially when he drives to his right, is such a handful that there you get into this athletic sequence at that point, right? If Draymond's backpedaling and Jalen Brown is going forward with, with force, Draymond has to turn his hips so much just to get to a steep enough angle to cut him off that uh, Brown had a little floater uh, in, in the first quarter that was indicative of this. He gets turned and then he just does a Euro step and a little shot over the top, right? And so that, I, I actually think they've defended Tatum quite well. His percentages are pretty low in this series. I do think he was excellent as kind of a de facto point guard in game three. Uh, but all of this is related where like they gave up 68 points in that first half. They uh, were really bad on their long rebounds. One thing that I think that is a, an inherent advantage that Boston really leveraged well for the first time in game three was their size advantage. In game one, it was a lot of shot making. Their ball movement was great, but they haven't really been like, wow, they're really physically punishing Golden State, at least by my view, until game three. And so that, Mike, that whole, it starts with Draymond for me, is Draymond has to be the head of the snake, the guy that attacks, the guy that gets up into and dictates the terms. That's a really important thing, I think, in this series. So let's take a break. Come back. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Draymond. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think that's the guy to isolate, Pete. And the reason is he's the guy that has to get the rest of Golden State up to the collective level of energy and to sort of bridge the gap that is the athletic advantage that Boston has. And that's what he did in game two. He very much did not do that in game one and game three. And I think this is where I want to tie in the mental to the physical, though. When you've been in a lot of playoff series, and goodness knows that Draymond Green has been in a lot of finals games, he knows how good the other team is. And he knows that even if he's able to kind of like really bring that, you know, do the do the rah-rah speech before the game, that, that Boston's going to do that at least one of those two home games. And so I, I really think that he entered thinking, all right, we, like we have to we have to win one of these two games. It's very unlikely we're going to be able to win both. And it's it gets tricky here because you don't want to ever leave energy out there. Or But it's just a it's just a realization that this is what happens when the other team is about it, too. And so I think that's why I'm so curious to see game four. I think we're going to see a different Draymond. Now, the question is. Can does he have enough physically as Boston gets to know Golden State even better to be able to call upon it again as he did in game two? And I think that's where some real questions have to be asked. But he and just in general, Golden State are not that impressive physically. Like Curry and Clay in the backcourt, especially this version of Clay, uh, Looney and Draymond, you know, and then Wiggins is a great cool. athlete. Um, but right. And then you bring Poole in, not a great athlete. Uh, Gary Payton the second is a great athlete. Right. Porter is a big athlete, but not so there. These are not, you know, the kind of guys like Smart and Brown and Tatum and especially Robert Williams. Mike, they're not running jump players. They are more in the, the Warriors are more in the mold of Al Horford and how for look all these NBA guys. When we talk about athleticism, they're all great athletes. Right. But there is a differentiation between like when you turn around and you're like, holy cow, Jalen Brown is at the top of the square or Robert Williams, where did he come from? Right. And Golden State doesn't have one of those dudes. At least those dudes aren't playing. Right. Kaminga is one of those guys. James Wiseman is one of those guys. Those dudes might as well be in street clothes. They're not playing in this series. I mean, Wiseman hasn't all season and Kerr has not felt comfortable going to Kaminga. And, and, and so Please continue, Mike. But that that leveraging of athleticism, that was on full display in game three. And I thought that was the major difference in terms of what it's looked like the entire series. Yeah. And so that's where. But if Golden State brings the requisite intensity, then then that gets a little closer. And then Boston is is having to do some other stuff that is difficult for them to do uh, into following all of the ways that. Golden State is moving offensively, but really to me, it's more about their defense and how do they hold Boston uh, to 88 points right in game two? And what what are they doing defensively that is getting Boston off its game? How are they turning them over so much? How are they speeding them up? Like those are the mental parts that I think Golden State excels at when they're locked in. And and this is all a gamble 
in like in me picking Golden State and thinking, well, Boston's got eight guys. Usually over the course of a super intense, super tough series, some of those guys get worn down. And whereas Golden State, this is where there are 11 guys, sometimes or I guess really 10 if you're not counting Kaminga or Lee or Moody who hasn't played or even Toscano Anderson. Like those guys, you can call upon one of those guys in a game or in a spot when you need something. And I just don't think Boston can do that with Neesmith or, you know, Stauskas or whatever, uh, even Tice, right? Maybe Tice to a small extent, but in the, like, if, if I have to pick like one game, both team, both teams are bringing it. Um, I think that Boston is a little bit better, but I'm still kind of holding out that hope that Golden State <laughs> can, uh, can outlast them if one of those guys gets banged up. Hey, you, you and me both, Mike. And, like Tice is a good example, and I think I, I'd like to transition this conversation to who plays and when. That's one of the things that that you pointed out going into the series is like Boston knows their guys. That's one of the advantages of like they run eight, but they really run seven, right? And but at the beginning of this series, Tice played in game one and game two when he barely played at all in the Miami series, and so there's been uh, this back and forth between the coaches of Kerr goes to Bielitsa in game two to match up with the Tice minutes. And instead of them really getting their butts kicked at the beginning of the second quarter and fourth quarter, like they did in game one, especially in that fourth quarter, uh, it was even more or less. And Bielitsa gave them, they, he did Bielitsa things, right? Um, and having Tice on the floor, there's less ability to target a guy like him. Well, Tice didn't play in game three and Bielitsa did and they really lost those minutes in part because there wasn't another athletically comparable player on the other side of the floor and they were starting those quarters with Robin with Robert Williams at the five and so this gets me to one of the complications of having those 10 guys that Golden State has is they don't know who plays and when and this is a combination of injuries but also having different tools available and i think there's some interesting conversations to be had about who plays and when the it's funny coming into the series i i thought that looney would be a guy who would be a, a detriment after three games i'm like he's essential they no. need him on the floor and i think that those chips at the beginning basically my my theory is this is those minutes where Steph doesn't play and they're pool-led units, you need to at least be bigger to be good on the defensive end. And so those are shifts that I think Looney should be getting. And I also think that I haven't been particularly impressed with Jordan Poole in this series. I think that this is a really difficult series for him. And so anyway, take that whatever direction you want to go in. But I'm curious your thoughts on who plays and when for the Warriors. You're putting it kindly with Poole. Poole's been bad. He's the dude who, to make a baseball analogy... He's looking like a 4A player right now. It's just like, okay, if the finals are the major leagues, then yeah, you just dominated AAA for a long time in the regular season and had real high flash moments during the rest, rest of the playoffs. But right now you're dealing with something different. And he's like, can't hit the curveball right now. Or at least a slider low went away. He's getting fooled. It's interesting. I don't know if I argued too hard against your point at the beginning of the series, Pete, where you were sort of questioning whether or not this would be a loony series or not. But I think I've said over the course of these playoffs when talking about the Warriors that he's definitely one of their like five or six best players, right? I've grown such an appreciation for him. He's, he's really smart above his size and all of that. Just like a high IQ big like that, yep. like really does a lot of wonders. Yep, exactly. And I look at him and I look at Draymond and I tell myself, 
that against a team like the Celtics, that one of Draymond or Looney should be on the floor every single minute of this game. I don't see how you avoid doing that. Like, I just don't. My concern, though, D, is in those second quarter and fourth quarter groups to start those quarters, Draymond is in, but Poole is in. Is in uh, it, they're they're not particularly big, right? right? And so they're they're a small ball group that is going up against Robert Williams and Grant Williams or Al Horford, whomever's in in the game at that point. And so there's like a collective size from Boston that I would even argue that if you're going to have those groups with po- those pool led groups in particular, that like those kind of have to be matched with Looney because even having one or the other in, if it's Draymond with those second units, they can still be just uh, too small. Well. How many times did you see in game three? And so this is where we need to differentiate between like fact and fiction, between what's real and what's not within this series as well, right? And so Boston got to the paint a ton and they emphasized getting into the paint a ton against the Warriors in game three. And what when you talked about earlier that, Boston leveraged their size, and it was really the first time this series that they looked just intimidating with their size. Um, That's because of exactly that sentiment of like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to the basket. We're going to the basket every single time. Marcus Smart's like, I got to switch, or Steph is on me. Steph's got two fouls. Great. I'm going right to the paint. And I'm trying to drive and I'm trying trying to score. Grant Williams was doing the same things. They really started to crash the offensive glass. They did so many things as just like bigger, 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 quicker to the ball, quicker to the ball, athleticism, size, athleticism, size. That was their whole formula. And pushing back against that, you, you need to meet force with force. And you don't think of Looney as this forceful player, but he is an impediment player he is a guy who's just like yeah you're you're gonna have to go over the top of me and boston has the athletes to do that but looney's gonna be standing there each and every time and remaining to be that impediment so i absolutely think he has to play i think they they probably should find more draymond looney minutes over the course of the game because this as long as you have two of the clay pool Steph trio out there, you can play with non-spacing other players, especially when they're good passers and good screeners, which both Looney and Draymond are. And so I think you hit the nail on the head here, Pete, with who should play and when. And so let's go to break here because I really do think that as the series advances, this chess matchup, game is going to be even more important than like even the schematic part of things. So where are you guys at then? It's 2-1. Mike, you've already laid your cards down. You probably favor them, at least in your mind. Pete, on the text thread last night, you were like, I'm less optimistic around those ideas. And, And so Let's talk through a little bit of like where your skepticism lies about the Warriors path. So it's mostly on the offensive end. And I'm concerned that in both of the games that they've lost in the fourth quarter, when the screws really got tightened on defense, they had difficulty getting separation from Boston in a literal sense, right? Like they were getting smothered on the perimeter in ways that wasn't the case uh, for good portions of the game. My bigger concern. Now, I think the point about like 
the momentum of a series and like that was Boston's game to win, I think has some merit. When it's 1-1, it resonates less with me. It's not like Golden State went up 2 nothing and then that first game at home at the other team's floor, like they obviously have more desperation. Like it's 1-1 in a game three. That's an important game. Like you said earlier, like we won that game three in 2010 and that was hugely important in terms of the outcome of the series. I saw some things on the schematic end of things and on the adjustment end of things. I love the conversation that Udoka and Kerr are having with each other. And one of the things that really struck me about this series and even the last one against Miami was how much they've been in that drop. They've been in drops on Steph Curry for most of this series, relying on Marcus Smarter, whomever's guarding him, to fight over the top of that screen, provide good back pressure, and that big has mostly been at the free throw line or maybe a small step above that. And it's like, that's an invitation to Steph to say, Steph, pull up and take this shot. He finally gave in in that third quarter. Steph had like 15 points in that third. And then he started coming up higher with Robert Williams in particular. They had done a great job of targeting Horford in that comeback. For all of how poorly they played, the, the one of my senses of optimism is how quickly Golden State can get a game back under control. You know, like, I'm like oh, you guys are ahead now. And the way they did it, the shot that put them ahead was a great Steph Curry uh, play where he was going to go use a pick and roll in one direction to target Horford. And then, he gave it to the big who I, I think was Looney on that play. It may have been Draymond and then reversed it. Right. So set the screen up so that he could go in the other direction, going middle to the top of the key, pops that top of the key jumper. Horford's a step too late. They have started to blitz the ball, which is going to require somebody who can roll and get downhill. And that ability to show higher is something I've been waiting for. Like, I'm like, oh, are you going to drop on Steph Curry all series? Interesting. Now that they're not, I'm like, I see more difficulty, Mike, in that. And I see more of an ability to smother them. For me, Gary Payton Jr., again, I, since, I felt this since the beginning of the series, you have to be able to switch with size against Golden State and have skill, but without losing a ton of physicality. That ability to set a screen and roll hard to the basket, Gary Payton II can do that and can provide some of that athleticism and help on the defensive end. So he's a guy that now you need pool on the floor when Steph isn't in the game. And I don't think that he should only play in those minutes, but I don't know, man, those units, especially when Steph is off of the floor, that athleticism and size. And I would rather have Gary Payton Jr. in a lot of the lineups, especially the closing lineups, rather than Jordan Poole. So you know me like you know me. Who do you think I like more as a player, Jordan Poole or Gary Payton? Uh, the second. Gary Payton the second easily correct so it's a really it's a part of it's kind of a small or a more direct example of the Lou Will Alex Caruso combo again and pool to me fits in with not just a Lou Will but a Tyler Hero some of these guys that are really good scores in the regular season when they're going against second units when they're given a lot of reps when the defenses aren't locked in when the defenses aren't then or when the offensive players aren't attacking them a ton on the other end of the floor, but you get into a playoff series and then all of those weaknesses are exposed. And here's the other part of this that I think is always under underestimated with a six man scoring type guy. I don't want you having the ball that much because my actual stars have the ball in this game. So every time Jordan Poole has a possession and he thinks he's Jordan Poole, he's going to go do his thing, crossover, this, that Steph Curry is not, and now there's a balance because because you don't want to just scan, um, spam pick and rolls with Steph all game, all series, because then he's going to get tired. 
But it's the same problem I have with somebody coming to join LeBron as a playmaker. Because ultimately, I don't want you having the ball that much, right? That's when I need you to be the actual role player and to do those things. And do you have the skill set, Jordan Poole, to do those things? No. Gary Payton the second does. That's that's not to say, like you just said, Pete, when Steph's out, which is going to be not for long in a game like this, right, especially as the series gets long, then sure, you need a couple possessions like that. But that's ultimately when it when it makes the difference to me and why I go with the player who can support the actual stars as opposed to the player who kind of thinks that they're the star and can raise their game when they're not an efficient enough scorer and they're going to get picked on on defense. That sounded harsh about Poole, but that's how I feel. Yeah, so I'm going to push back because that is harsh on Poole. Poole is an important part of the principles in which Golden State wants to play with offensively. The issue that he has is that he is not up to par defensively. And as Pete has always mentioned, um, you invite certain things for the other team. Like you roll out the red carpet a little bit when you put too much of any one thing on the floor yes. at yes. like like at one well at one time. And and so I truly believe the Warriors themselves internally, truth serum in their veins, they are frustrated with Poole for his lack of competing defensively. And because there's a certain baseline of attentiveness and engagement defensively that you need at this level of the playoffs against a team like Boston. And look, man, shutting off pools water, Boston's the exact sort of team that is going to give so many dudes problems, right? So many dudes. He's going to give those sorts of guys problems. Like, go look at Drew Holiday's shooting numbers during the Buck series. They were eating up him. The other thing, though, to Mike's point, is that Drew Holiday is out there competing his ass off defensively. He's doing all of these these other things. For me, if I'm pool, and just to push back a little bit against what Mike was saying, is that he he is the other shot creator. Like he is the other, like he is either strong side or second side creator that you need in order to beat a team like the Celtics. Because if the Celtics can just build up the wall or basically blitz Steph, and that's their only concern, and now it's basically just like, okay, well, four on three, rotate, rotate, rotate. Like, get to clay, do as much as you can. Like, you need more. You need one more dude. And where my frustrations lie with Poole isn't that he's struggling against an elite defense it's that okay well if you're going to struggle against an elite defense then we at least need you to compete harder defensively and do more things defensively so that you don't end up being mike you just threw the number into the chat so you don't end up being basically a minus 13 net rating for the series through three games i saw a warriors person yesterday basically say through three games jordan Poole has 12 field goals and seven turnovers, and that's through three games. Like, how many of those field goals, Pete, came in game two when he was basically like, right. like riding high? And that's the point of things is, is that they need him to play better offensively, and like he's been that for them 
all season against all manners of defensive attention and through three rounds of the playoffs. And so I don't want to diminish him to, to the point where he's just like a Lou Williams type. He's definitely in that mold, but he's a legit three-level scorer with real shot creation skills and can pass the ball some too. They need those other facets of his offensive game to show up because if they don't, they're going to be stuck in the mud offensively, Pete. And it's sort of just like, you got to play better. It's some of the stuff we were saying about the Lakers this season. It's just like, look, we get it. Things are hard. The uh, like things aren't ideal for you right here, but big picture play better. There's opportunity for you to play better and you just got to do it regardless of what the level of the competition is. Those are good points. And you're always going to make good points. And, and I expected some, I'll, I'll do a slight pushback to the pushback and then Pete can come in and maybe he'll represent Switzerland uh, in this case, even though yes. he was the original one question. <laughs> I brought it pool. up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so maybe that benefits me in this case. Uh, I just think that the there's a mentality of a player like Poole, and it's tough to switch that mentality in the course of a season, in the course of a series. And the way that Boston plays defense, especially in the half court, Poole, for as good as he is, for as talented as he is, he's he's just not going to be that efficient against that. Like Steph can, but Poole, Poole can't – you can't attack that Celtics defense – as like thinking, oh, I, I got this. I'm going to create shots for either for myself or other people. It's got to be more of a of an even type of a flow. And, you know, maybe again, maybe that's ignoring that sometimes you just do have to have somebody that can go create a shot. He did. He had an amazing move to score around Williams where he used the rim to his advantage um, later in that game. I think it was the late in the third or in the fourth quarter. And he is the only other guy that can do that. Uh, but it's just it. I just don't think he can shift his mindset enough to overcompensate for the things that a Peyton can do. And, and that's why, again, it's, it's, if I feel silly using these net rating numbers after three games, but his offensive rating is terrible too. I think in part of that, in part because of that. So it's not just like the defense and he's getting killed um, on that end where defensively he's kind of in the middle. And that a lot of that has to do with him being on the floor in game two, right? During that big run that Golden State made in the third quarter. But enough of me on this one now. Let's get Pete to, uh, to weigh in a little bit more on the pool and the whole situation. So pool is a necessary shot creator. I think D is correct on that with um, respect to if he's not on the floor, especially with certain lineups, they fall below a certain amount of guys that you really have to care about defensively and really have to zero in on. And we had a good clay game uh, for the first time in this series. And part of that is part of what's so valuable about clay is clay just needs like a sliver of daylight when he's right to be able to hit a shot. And those are NBA finals caliber shots. Jordan Poole is not that level of like, this is, he's not big enough. He's not big enough for one. That's a great point. But he's also a bit looser as a player, right? Like he's a bit more helter skelter. And like Boston is almost always going to make the correct rotation with a great deal of motor and their physical attributes and all that. But more than anything, they don't let up and they're going to play correctly, meaning that if their scheme is to close out and send you baseline, they're not going to mess that up. And then the helper is going to rotate over and then someone's probably going to help the helper. 
You can beat that, but you have to do that with a degree of precision that Clay has an economy of motion to his game that Poole does not. He's more of that one-on-one, much more of a dribbler, right? And that's one of the reasons why I'd love to see Looney in those groups with Poole where Steph is out is because he gives you another like guy that can set good screens and run handoffs. Like I think getting Poole off of the ball is something that they can do. If I can give a bit more of an optimist's take is that uh, Golden State, I think with – Boston showing higher with their bigs needs to start setting their screens a little bit higher. Those yes. 30, 35 feet away yeah. type ones. And like, Oh, you want to dance with Steph and pool out here. And, uh, and you know, that type of thing I think can loosen things up. But my issue with pool ultimately is that it's more that he, they are collectively too small. Like if it was only Jordan pool in a lineup that was small, but when they've got basically pool three wings and Draymond against Robert Williams and Grant Williams. And then the size that Boston has in the backcourt, they kind of fall below a collective level. So pool is still important. D they need him for the offense, for his offense, even if just as a threat. But I think that where he plays and when he plays is just, is really going to determine a lot about what, where the series goes. 100%. And Peyton's not a big dude either. So you, right. So even when you have Peyton next to pool, it's just like, OK, well, here's another defensive player. And then you and then you put him with Clay. And it's just like, OK, well, there's Clay Thompson. He's six, six. And then, oh, look, it's Otto Porter. He's six, eight. And then it's Draymond Green. It's just like, OK, well, he and then but it's like, wait, the other team has Grant Williams out there and Robert Williams and then Jalen Brown. And then it's sort of just like, OK, and then their guards are the same size or a little bit bigger. Maybe one of those guys is white or smart. And it's like, okay. Well, and several of those Boston guys are those run and jump athletes that you were talking about too. So there's a collective like too overwhelming athletic. But Peyton can, Peyton plays bigger though because he can hold up against big He wins. does. Yes, but Brown and Tatum shoot right over the top of him. And so rather, rather have him doing that than driving to the rim though. 100%. And it's why when I talked about pool, I focused on, on his defense because he gave up too many straight, he gives up too many straight line drives. And I thought in game three, the entire Warriors team gave up too many straight line drives. Atrocious in that first half. And if you're going to be at an athletic deficit, straight line drives are death. They're death anyway. They're death anyway. But if you but if you have athletes, at least on the back end, they can help erase some of that. Right. Anthony Davis and LeBron. Right. Yes. Or or JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. It's just like the Lakers purposefully pressured the ball. The championship team purposefully pressured the ball almost with an invitation of drive by me. Go ahead. Because the dudes who are rotating behind us, they want to destroy you. When you get to the basket, they they want to block these shots. Right. And and so but the Warriors, they don't have that backline protection. And that's why that's why they're swarm and they're cut off and they're showing help early. That's a part of their scheme. But you can't show help early if one dribble and the dude is by you. Right. Like watching Marcus Smart drive straight to the basket, just going right every time. Like you got to turn him at least once. Well, even and look, and this is why people were saying during the game and after the game, that that was probably one of the worst performances they ever saw from Draymond Green. And it speaks to your point, Pete, about him being on his heels more than on the balls of his feet, which is where he's best. Right. And so Draymond and it's why after the game too, Draymond said, like, I'm disappointed in myself. I didn't play with enough force. I was soft basically. And those are like catchphrases, but they are representative of the idea that you mentioned, 
that it's just like playing with force doesn't mean like all the antics stuff that people were highlighting after game two playing with force is no i am up into you i am attacking you yes. i i am not playing defense like i am not like on like the defense here which is like it's funny because looney is the exact opposite sort of defender looney to me to bring mm-hmm. out my last street fighter to reference and then we'll end the pod here he is like sagat to me he is he is like the muay thai boxer because he is keeping you at distance and he's like oh yeah look like you think you think i'm not there but look i'm tall and i'm long and and i'm keeping you at a range where you think you think you're safe, but you're not. And suddenly, now I'm just smothering you. First of all, I called him Saget. Um, I like the way that you said it a little better. You know, like okay. Sagat. Well, it was the low fire that he had that was especially killer. Because you can't even stay chilling down on the ground and block, which you could do against the Ayukin, against the, the Ryu or Ken. Because he could go low and then just drain your energy that way. And then he had the high fire. So uh, point supported. <laughs> I don't even know how to transition here, Pete. Last thing I'll say, though, only one day off between yep. game three and game four. And so this is key I'll to my theory about Williams uh, in Horford, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And so we'll see how everyone reacts. Steph, too, with a little Steph's bit of a foot thing, mm-hmm. right? Sprain foot stuff that he was talking right. about. And so a lot going on going in to game four. I do think, though, that the overarching point that you've made, Pete, about who plays and when and Kerr needing to, I think, at this point, halfway through the series, find out who his guys are. Because Boston came in knowing who theirs were and Kerr needs to figure it out for his side. And as Lakers fans, I think we're all hopeful they get there. Boy, man, this is killing me. All right. Um, we'll be back either tomorrow or Monday. We will see. Um, but this is a good talk. I'm glad we got caught up on the finals. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Bryant, unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James.
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.